This morning in our Torah class, I'm going to be talking about something that is actually continually happening. Um, that is, I'm going to be speaking about the Omer. Now, those of you who are not aware of this, we've been counting the Omer. Now, I will tell you how long in just a second it's been. Uh, well, it's been four weeks, but I but there's more to it than that. We've been counting the Omer since the second night of Passover. And if you don't know what the counting of the Omer is, or if you do know, but you still don't have much of a sense of it, I'm going to be telling you all about it. So I want to start with the idea that the Omer is the, um, the beginning of the harvest, the barley harvest, that eventually gets offered in the temple. And the reason that I want to start with the agricultural before the historical, because you may know that almost all Jewish holidays have different aspects, both in the natural world and in the spiritual world. Um, and, and in history, uh, which is, I suppose, part of the spiritual world, um, in, uh, certainly in sacred history. But the harvest part has itself a spiritual component. Because barley is what is called ma'achal behema, food for animals. And the omer is when you finally offer the barley harvest as an offering at the end of 50 days, uh, 49 days, on the 50th day, in the temple. So the underlying theme of this, which in some ways is the underlying theme of all of Judaism, is you take the physical and spiritualize it. That is, you elevate what is what you have in common with other animals and you infuse it with um, that special sense of the connection between the human soul and God. And so that is the base theme, the foundational theme of counting the Omer. Is it is attempt to it's an attempt to continually elevate our spirits, and what happens? Let me just go through the mechanics for a second. Is every evening from the second night of the seder onwards, you say a blessing, and then say this is such and such day of the Omer, and you do that from the second night of um, Passover until Shavuot, until the holiday of Shavuot, uh, which we are approaching. Um, and in it's, it will be in May. I don't remember the date. Um, and that idea that, uh, that we are moving from Passover to Shavuot is the historical aspect and spiritual aspect of the holiday. And I want to say something about that. And then I, of the Omer rather, and then I will get to the questions of why we mourn during the Omer and finally the Kabbalah of the Omer. So stay tuned. When the Jews left Egypt, they were in what the Torah considers a somewhat debased spiritual state because they had the mentality of slaves and they were frightened and they thought of themselves as subjects of Pharaoh. And that mentality, as we know, is not so easily broken. You can't be subjected 
to someone or something, especially not for a long period of time, and then just liberate yourself overnight. Um, one of the reasons that has been given for why Moshe was different from the rest of the Israelites is that he grew up in the palace of Pharaoh and therefore did not have the mentality of a slave and thought as an essentially free man. Um, and what is what the Jewish paradigm here is you are switching from servitude to a human being, which is limiting and degrading, and you're a subject and a slave to service to God, which is elevating and ennobling and allows the flourishing of the human soul. And so this switch from one to the other is the switch from Pesach to Shavuot, because Shavuot is the holiday of the giving of the Torah. It is when the Israelites gather around Sinai and the Torah is given to them. That's 50 days after they leave um, Egypt. Now, you can imagine in the Torah scheme how great a psychic transformation is required to be in one, on one day a slave who is entirely subject to the whim and to the whip of the master, to the lash and to the demand of the person who controls you, and to move from that to Sinai, where you are in this vast expanse, um, you're, you're with other people who um, can choose to accompany you in this spiritual journey and can support you in it and whom you can support, where your family is gathered around you, which we know is not always the case in, in slavery situations. Um, and all of a sudden, you have this uh, opportunity to transform your consciousness from slave to spirit. And the Omer reenacts in our own lives this same gradual transformation from one to the other. Now, in the course of Jewish history, and, and by the way, there's just the the before I get to Jewish the course of Jewish history, the um, sense that day by day by day, you are changing and counting and paying attention to the passage of time, which is particularly, I think, vividly um, uh, relevant to a time of quarantine where the days seem to run together and you actually have to pay attention to demarcate one day from the other. But the sense that all of these um, days are being marked is a, a sort of enactment of the Solomonic um, Proverbs claim that uh, when that to lead a life of teach us to count our days that we may lead a life of wisdom, uh, that paying attention every single day and counting your days and being grateful for them 
and acknowledging them and not letting them just disappear in a puff of smoke is part of the way that we acquire wisdom by, uh, reminds me of the James Taylor song, The Secret of Life is Enjoying the Passage of Time. Well, the secret of life is at least paying attention to the passage of time. I don't know about always enjoying, but marking it and paying attention to it. And that's part of the spiritual work of the Omer. Um, now, it is true that the Omer also has a very sad connotation in Jewish history. So traditional Jews will not cut their hair um, before um, from Pesach to Lagba Omer, which we will come to, um, and sometimes for the entire Omer. I can probably, or maybe you can't tell that my hair is growing um, since I, I cut it right before Pesach, so it wasn't well done anyway. Uh, and, and that's for one of a couple of reasons. The traditional reason given is that Rabbi Akiva's students suffered a plague during that time. And so in memory of those many rabbis who died, we don't cut our hair, we don't go to parties. You might say we do social distancing um, in memory of that plague. Uh, and maybe there is some connection to that. The other equally, maybe even more plausible explanation is that it was the, during the time of the Bar Kokhba revolt. And uh, many people were killed at that time. And maybe the Omer happened to have been a particularly bad time in the revolt that eventually led, of course, to the exile of the Jews from the land of Israel until modern times. So either way, whether it was because of a plague or because of a revolt, and later on in history, there were crusades and pogroms that happened during the Omer period. Um, one day during the Omer, Lagba Omer, which is next week, actually, um, the 33rd day of the Omer is celebrated as a holiday. And on Lagba Omer, people will get haircuts and have parties and celebrate. And there is also a huge bonfire and celebration that normally takes place. I don't know what they'll be able to do this year. Uh, in Israel, at the grave of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, it's, it's supposed to be his yurtzeit, the anniversary of the date of his death on Lagba Omer. Uh, and normally you don't celebrate on someone's yurtzeit, uh, the, the anniversary of the date of death. But with Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, there's a, there is a difference, and we do. Um, he was, according to tradition the author of the Zohar, of the classic book of Jewish mysticism. Um, historically, that is a questionable claim. We don't need to get into that now. Uh, if you're really interested, I gave a lecture on the Zohar that you can find uh, either in, I think it's on the podcast off the pulpit or at the Temple Emmanuel website or at the Sinai Temple website, and you can hear about the, the Zohar and how it was put together along with other lessons on Jewish mysticism, but he is thought of as the author of the Zohar. And because the Omer is tied up with the Kabbalah in ways that I am about to explain, uh, and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is a profoundly important figure in the Kabbalistic history of the Jewish tradition, uh, so Lagba Omer becomes, since it's also his yurtzeit, it becomes a day to celebrate the legacy that he gave us. Um, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai also happens to represent, which I think is important and interesting, the history of quarantine 
in Judaism because he and his son hid out in a cave um, for years from the Romans uh, because they were uh, being sought after uh, to be executed. And, and only after a long time came out of the cave uh, and at first had a very hard time readjusting to the world. Um, they came out and they saw uh, Israelites um, working on the Sabbath. And the, the story is that he was furiously angry and, and onward. And uh, anyway, um, God said, if you've come out of the, of the cave to destroy my world, go back into your cave. Uh, eventually, he becomes reconciled to the piety of the Israelites. Um, it's a longer story. But Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is an example, not only of quarantine, but also of the difficulties of re-emerging. So let me just review a little bit and then come to the Kabbalistic um, themes. Between, and, 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 and let me just, first I will read you the biblical source and then I will review. So since this week we are studying Emor, um, that's this week's Parsha. I'm taking my JPS Tanakh, which is if you need a recommendation of which Bible to get, this is my recommendation. Um, either this or Robert Alter uh, translation. And I'm now reading from Leviticus chapter 23, verse 9. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 9. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the Israelite people and say to them, when you enter the land I'm giving you and you reap its harvest, you'll bring the first sheaf of your harvest to the priest. He'll elevate the sheaf before the Lord for acceptance on your behalf. He'll elevate it on the day after the Shabbat. In other words, what we would call Sunday. On the day you elevate the sheaf, you'll burn, you'll offer the as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb the first year without blemish, and the meal offering of two tenths of choice flour. Um, and until that very day, until you brought the offering to your God, you shall eat no bread or parched grain or first years. It's a law for all times. And from the day on which you bring the sheaf of elevation offering, in other words, on that Pesach. On the day after the Sabbath, you shall count off seven weeks, right? So after the day that you bring that first offering, there are seven weeks, which is the time of the barley harvest. And then you bring an offering for Shavuot. Um, and we count off those seven weeks even now, thousands of years later, in tribute to that ancient command, even though we no longer obviously um, give offerings at the temple. Uh, and the connection with the Kabbalah is that each week of the Omer has a different Sfirah uh, attached to it. Now, what is a Sfirah? I hear you cry um, through Facebook and, uh, and the Sinai Temple site. Uh, Sfirot are the emanations of God into the world. And it's almost as if God rains down in different qualities onto the world. And without going into the, an explanation, a complex explanation of the Sfirot, because they are, in fact, very complex, you can think of it as God's energy gets deposited in certain ways in the world and human beings by through prayer, ritual, goodness, all these things, we help or hinder those energies from God, those emanations from God um, to interact in 
the terrestrial world and the world below. So there are 10 spherot classically. Um, you can easily look them up. Sometimes they're depicted as a tree. Sometimes they're depicted as a human body. Um, and each sphera has very different, um, very different uh, forms of energy associated with it at different times and in different ways. Um, so just like if I say, for example, you have the quality of compassion, but your compassion gets demonstrated in many, many different ways and could be called many different things. So here we're talking about something infinitely more complex because it's an emanation of God. And so each Svira um, interacts uh, in, in very different ways, depending on the situation. And in fact, the Zohar, which I mentioned earlier, as uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's, the book that is attributed to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the Zohar is an interpretation of the Torah, of the scriptures, as if the Sfirot are interacting through all the characters. So, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and Aaron, and, and Joseph, and David, they all represent, David sometimes represents leadership, and Joseph loyalty, and Abraham chesed, or love, or kindness, and, and each one represents different qualities and interacts in the world, and, and the Zohar sees the interactions of the human beings as parallel to the interactions going on sort of inside of God, in God's emanations. Now, if that sounds complex, it's because it is. Uh, it's a sort of combination of spirituality and geometry and psychology and theology. And the Kabbalah is infinitely uh, ramified and there's lots to learn about it. But the way it interacts with the Omer is as follows. There are seven spherot. Chesed, which is loving kindness. Gvurah, which is judgment or rigor, tiferet, which is compassion or beauty and sometimes balance, um, netzach, which is victory, hod, which is glory or splendor, yesod, which is the foundation, and sometimes intimacy and sometimes generativity, and malchut, which is majesty in God's realm, okay? You can easily look them up, but it's chesed, gvura, tiferet, netzach, uh, hod, yesod, and malchut. The way the Omer, the Kabbalistic reading of the Omer works is every week gets a Svira and every day gets a Svira. So week one is one in one. The second day of week one is two in one. The third day of, of week one is three in one. So Chesed being the first loving kindness being the first Svira, the first day of the Omer represents chesed in chesed, loving kindness and loving kindness. The second day is judgment in loving kindness, right? Because it's gvura in chesed. The third day is tiferet, compassion in loving kindness. And each day has its own psychology of what it is. So today, for example, is the 28th day of the Omer. We counted it last night, uh, Wednesday night. We counted the 28th day of the Omer, and until tonight, it will be the 28th day. I'm not supposed to tell you what tomorrow is, because that would constitute counting the Omer before you got to the Omer. 
But those of you who know that today is the 28th and yesterday was the 27th can probably figure out what tomorrow will be. So that means it is the fourth week. Therefore, it is the seventh day of the fourth week. The seventh day is the last of the seven Svirot. So that's Malchut. The fourth is Netzach. So today is Malchut in Netzach. That is majesty in victory. Now, what that means in terms of your life and in terms of God's presence in the world, that's something to think about and to contemplate. And, and you may find that this psychological scheme is both reflective and helpful, depending on your own spiritual practice. But it is also a guide to think about the different qualities inside you every day and to use the Omer as an opportunity for a kind of spiritual growth day after day that is reflected in, um, in your own psyche as well as in kohot ba'olam, in powers in the world. And this is the essential sort of question and struggle is to what extent when you talk about Kabbalistic questions, to what extent is this a projection of the human psychology outward? And to what extent is it a projection of divine forces in the world that we can take inward? Um, obviously, I can't give you a simple answer to that question. And even if I could give you a simple answer to that question, it might be very different from your answer to that question. And uh, in the absence of the kind of interaction and discussion that we could normally have, uh, I will just make a remark or two, um, not to solve the question, but to, I hope, provoke some thinking, which is, of course, the principal point of this class is to offer some information, provoke some thinking, and maybe uh, a little bit of inspiration. So if you think about the historical idea, that is the liberation from Passover, from Egypt to Sinai, this was primarily a function of God's doing, and the Israelites had relatively little to do with it. Um, yeah, they had a walk. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but other than that, God more or less took care of it, right? Let's Moses too, but God more or less took care of it. That's the image that the Bible gives us is liberation was not, in fact, the achievement of the Israelites. It was really the achievement of God. Walking through the desert and the idea of a barley harvest is much more the achievement of the Israelites, right? Agriculture is a kind of collaboration. There's an old joke, actually, um, of a guy who comes across a beautiful field uh, that a farmer is raising uh, corn. And he says to the farmer, it's beautiful what you and God have done together. And the farmer says, yeah, you should have seen this place when God was the sole owner. So it is certainly true that when we're talking about cultivating and growing food, there is a collaboration between God and human beings. And that's why the offering at the temple is a way of saying, thank you, God, for your part in this collaboration to create things. And so there is in Jewish history a movement from God dependence 
to people dependence. It's one of the reasons why if you follow <clears throat> the Torah, God is mentioned much more in the early stages of the Torah and gradually, 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 God's both mention and initiative tapers off till the end. For those of you who want to read a really interesting book about this, um, Richard Elliott Friedman wrote about the disappearance of God in which he traces the disappearance of the mention of God throughout the Torah. And the Kabbalah is a lot about trying to find the balance between human initiative and God's presence in the world, which, to be fair, is also a theme of the Jewish tradition in general. Um, and because we are an activist tradition, the idea that we leave everything to God is not the way that uh, Jews have traditionally thought of it, although there are those strains in the Jewish tradition. I don't want to say that that doesn't exist. Um, but I think that the Omer is a good reminder of the essential idea of shutafut, of partnership between God and human beings, that we are partners in creating this world. And especially at a time like this, that partnership is so important because we're using natural um, tools and our own minds to try to combat what is, after all, a natural form of destruction. Uh, at the beginning of um, the uh, at the beginning of the Torah, one of the commentators says that God's name El Shaddai, which is one of the names of God, really means die like Dayenu. That God says, I'm only going to create so far, then die, then I'm going to stop. Dayenu, it's enough. And the rest of it you have to create. Because I'm not going to do everything for you. Things you have to do for yourselves so that you can learn and grow. One of the ways we learn and grow is by paying attention to every single day. And what we can accomplish on that day and what that day means for us. So I hope that this has been helpful in explaining the Omer and helping you um, celebrate each day of the Omer. And I look forward to seeing you once we reach Shavuot, which is the culmination of this. And we study together in celebration of the Torah. Have a good day. Have a good 28th day of Sfirata Omer of the Counting of the Omer.